everyday, ordinary people living extraordinary lives. For the next few minutes, join me as I introduce you to some of them. It's about understanding the experience and the context that you're in and how you are able to leverage. I'm B. Moore, and welcome to Conversations. February is Black History Month, and I thought what better way to celebrate than by having a guest who has made history herself. Hi, I'm Johanna Rogers. I am the host of Behind the Woman, uh, a member of the Indiana University Grade 8, and a community leader, I guess, here in the city of Syracuse. Johanna, thank you so much for uh, being my guest today on Conversations. I want to start with the fact that you do have a doctorate in education and knowing that you have that, you obviously value education. So I want to take it back to some of your roots and how this appreciation for education was developing you growing up. Can you speak to that, please? Oh my gosh. I, I think that it was my eighth grade teacher, Ms. Um, Mrs. Farley, that said to me, you should think about becoming a teacher. And I said, oh no. <laughs> that was the first time anyone had mentioned to, to me uh, going into the educational sector. Um, it wasn't something that I had much interest in or thought about even beyond that moment. I was kind of like, yeah, no, Mrs. Spalding, I'm not going to become a teacher. But um, I loved performance, and I loved uh, growing up. I was in dance classes and performance troupe throughout the city of Newark. In those informal learning spaces that you don't, after school programs or dance class, I really thrived in. Um, in the classroom as well, but I just enjoyed. And I didn't really think of it as learning <laughs> oftentimes. And so it was actually the artistic kind of performance space that led me to even think about education. And I guess my PhD is in higher education specifically. And so when I got to college um, and I attended the Penn State <laughs> University, um, a campus uh, right outside of State College called Altoona, the Altoona campus. Um, once classes were over, I got involved in organizing shows, writing, producing in the theater department. And it was just something I loved to do. I had been putting shows together. I would dance in my grandparents' living room. Uh, we'd have Thanksgiving showcases, all of that. Um, and so I utilized that experience and tapped into other students of color that were on campus. You know, she, Shirley was in the choir, or Travis had played the drums at church, and this person was on step team, and we would compile these shows for like MLK Day or different cultural celebrations to just kind of create a space for ourselves in a pretty white community. And by my senior year, um, I had changed my major um, as a sophomore to integrative arts. I had studied entrepreneurship and performance um, because that's what I realized I really loved doing. And by the time it was my senior year, I was supposed to put together a capstone. And 
When I did that, I wrote an original piece, I built a set, the whole nine yards for a full-length show and had about a 40-member cast, 35 of whom were African-American or black, I should say, black um, American students. And um, on the final night of the final run of the show, I was just like, oh my goodness, look what has happened. Um, I graduated that spring, but the next year they were doing an August Wilson play. And the year after that, they did another story in the theater that focused on African-American life. And I was just like, hmm, I found a way to use the arts and dance and everything that celebrates African-American, Black American culture to get all these folks involved <laughs> in, in the theater. And other students had begun to write. My friend Candace Campbell had begun to write different pieces as well. And I thought about staying on a college campus and using the arts to really help connect and retain students of color. And so I applied to Indiana University to their higher education program to do that. <laughs> and that's kind of how I ended up in the field of, of education. And, you know, the story kind of goes on from there. But I think it was, my point is, I think it was that performance space, the constantly using poetry and classes and artistic interpretation of, like, social studies and all that, that really got me engaged in education in a way that fulfilled me. Sure, sure. No, that's very interesting. And I could speak to my own personal experience. I know that through college I... Um, participated in numerous cultural artistic organizations and that helps keep um, students, particularly students of color on um, majority campuses mm -hmm. engaged. Absolutely. So no, that's Absolutely. great. I, I'm, I'm glad that you've done that. So tell me a little bit about your doctorate degree, uh, attaining it at Indiana University. Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, you know, I often say, I went to Indiana University, like I just said, to kind of look at the arts and performance on college campuses. And as a master's student, you come in with all these ideas, and then you realize, like, that's really kind of, kind of a challenge. It was a challenge for me because as a master's student, you aren't trained to conduct research and so, in some ways. And so... Um, I was trying to pull two things together that didn't have a whole lot of existing literature already. And so my interest kind of evolved into doing things on study abroad. But I think my journey to the doctorate had way more to do with me being probably an African-American woman from New Jersey who had relocated. I grew up in Newark, New Jersey specifically migrating to the Midwest, um, Indiana, Indianapolis specifically, and being in complete and total culture shock. Um, it was a different space. It was a different place. There were different politics at play that I wasn't accustomed to. Um, and not to say I hadn't been in a pre predominantly white spaces or growing up in New Jersey, I was um, exposed to all different types of culture and, and ethnic identities by virtue of just living in the shadows of New York City. And so uh, when I get to Indiana, everything becomes very black and white. 
and um, a lot more conservative than what I was used to. And so not only was I <laughs> tall, um, boisterous, um, I was also from <laughs> the East Coast. I was deemed like radical, right? In, in, a, in a way, and I guess I get it, <laughs> I kind of am. And uh, that was an adjustment for me. For, for the first time, my geographic identity as like an East Coaster became more apparent and I could better assess what that meant because I was no longer on the East Coast, I was in a different place. Sure. And so outside of campus, right, that was a huge cultural issue. Um, I was also um, a mom at that point, and um, looking for, I think, mentorship that understood the role of like going through graduate school um, with a family at the time. And I think I was pretty darn lucky <laughs> because I, my program was in Bloomington, um, but I worked in Indianapolis and was able to take classes in Indianapolis on a pretty um, urban campus. And so I found these black female administrators and faculty that, that had their PhDs. And they were also moms at various stages of the mothering journey, um, worked in different capacities across campus. They were, um, some were tenured, some had been there 20 plus years, had all this experience, and I kind of gravitated to them. And shortly after meeting them, the film with Alicia Keys and Queen Latifah came out um, about the secret life of bees. Yes. And so I had coined them my secret life of PhDs <laughs> because they were like these, you know, these, they weren't elders in the sense that I use the word elders, but these more seasoned, experienced women um, who kind of wrapped themselves around me and some helped babysit sometimes when I needed it, if I needed someone's opinion on how to get a project start started or what should I be thinking about or how do I dress or how you know how's my attire affecting <laughs> my presentation or just any kind of questions I had them there mm -hmm. and they were there in their couches in their offices and lunches um, and even professional development opportunities they included me in on that and that was probably the most powerful thing that I could have ever imagined to have going through graduate school. Um, and I was pretty fortunate in that, um, particularly going through my master's program and then working for a bit. And then them kind of being the catalyst to say, and hey, now you need to go on for your PhD. Like, you need to get it. And I'm thinking, so often it's just like, well, I don't know anybody that has done it, but I had these women around me that had done it and had done it with multiple children. I had one. Um, and so it was kind of like, okay, I can do this. I have no idea what a PhD entails, <laughs> like what that means. I'm like, how is that different than going for a master's, right? Because you don't know what it is until you get into the thick of it. Um, but I had some role models around me that made it feel very, very normal to pursue it. And so I did. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's great. That's great. You know, it, as, I, as I'm listening to you, I think about the saying, I'm sure you're familiar with, it takes a village. 
now and just thinking in terms of not only raising literally you know helping to raise your child but mm-hmm. helping to ha- help you become the person you know mm-hmm. self-develop into the person that you needed to be and that you desired to be interesting yeah I yeah, think yeah. Really it's and that's not often seen right I don't think that was I don't think that's the normal experience um but it was mine and so when I got into the throes of going for my, my PhD, they were a model. You know, my family and my undergraduate experience served as a frame of reference on how to navigate it. And so it wasn't easy all the time, but I was like, I gotta find and connect to a person or persons that can help balance whatever it is I'm about to experience. And that's where forming a relationship with Nadrea and Joku, Jasmine um, Haywood, Jahari Shook became really, really critical. <laughs> now these are the <laughs> other great eight members. These are other who went on, like you know, who went on to become members of the Great Eight along with me. And we all started, except for Jasmine and Jahari, we all started at different points. Mm. Okay. It wasn't like we all started and went in that first day of you know seminar together. It wasn't that at all. There were some other folks in the program with me um, at the time. But the journey of it, um, you you may start at one point together, but you go off to different classes. You have different interests that take you in different directions. It's a very individualized learning experience, unlike any other form of education that um, you have. You know, in high school, you start with one class. You know, you go to college, it may take you five versus four years, but you kind of move along with the same people. And the program we were in, it doesn't necessarily work that way. You're kind of working against yourself. And so um, having someone to kind of connect with, to bounce ideas off of, that that you find um, comfort in, like it's a safe space, you know, in any other part of life, you're often trying to find people who you feel comfortable sharing ideas with, who you can feel that you can trust with your work that you think has your back. It becomes the same thing along the PhD journey, right? Who can I share my writing with when you feel like it's not good enough and wanting feedback and them not looking at you differently, right? Sure. Who will ask you to join their research team? These are the type of things when we say we had to navigate an experience was a whole experience, you know, classmates that didn't want to work with you, that making you feel because you didn't go to top notch or dean very elite institutions, then, you know, the quality of your work just didn't mesh up with mm-hmm. with them or because many of us wanted to talk about race or race and gender, that that wasn't considered research mm-hmm. or that wasn't considered a suitable topic or why does everything have to be about race, right? Sure. Um, kind of, and many times left us kind of to the to the side, not picked, you know, first for the uh, for the team and things of that sort. And so um, finding each other and working together to do things became a confidence boost, became a safe space. And uh, Andrea and I had some conversations after going to conferences, which is part of the PhD process. You're not only supposed to be in the classroom, you're supposed to establish yourself as an expert 
in the academic arena. That means with other institutions just across the country, if not the world, you need to be on a stage presenting your work and talking about your ideas and um, getting input on them. But if your faculty members aren't picking you to be a part of their presentations or other graduate students aren't asking to write with you, then that becomes a very challenging thing to do. And so part of us forming the sister circle was our way of saying, we got to create a space where we can strategize. We got to create an environment where we can say, okay, well, who wants to work on this? Or who's going to this conference? Can we drive together? Can we share a room together? Um, so that we are eliminating barriers mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, of success for ourselves sure. and not sitting back and waiting for someone to pick us. So we're like, we're going to build our own table. All right. All right. <laughs> I hear you. So what was it like getting the national attention? Uh, and I say oh that gosh. specifically from, you know, being recognized by Ebony Magazine and probably others as well. What was that like? Oh my gosh, you know, even when I think about it now, it's kind of just like mind-blowing because in my mind, we went to school and I knew, I knew it wasn't like just going to, you know, it wasn't enough of us there for it to be like a normal thing, but in the grand scheme of things, we were like in a very graduate school kind of bubble. <laughs> and so you don't think about the impact that you being in graduate school can have on the African-American community. I mean, we did because we knew we wanted to do research that could help inform policy and it could be, you know, good in a real kind of like academic world. Like maybe we'll get tenured faculty positions and all that. But, you know, who reads academic journals? Probably about two or three people will read your article. Hopefully more than that if you're a premier um, academician or something. And so that's kind of where our goal and frame of mind was, was focused on. Sure. And so when the story breaks um, and Jasmine puts a post on Facebook that kind of talked about our challenge and our frustration with being recognized by IU initially, right? Because that is how the story kind of came out that, you know, there were these women graduating and IU didn't see the story in that. And the community on Facebook was like, well, we're gonna show them the value. And so she made one post, maybe I shared it, Jahari shared it, uh, Nadrea did, and we named each other. And we were, I remember Jasmine calling very upset. And I'm like, okay, girl, in the morning we'll get up, we'll think about it, we'll you know, talk with the dean. You know, we're strategizing things sure. that we had learned to do in order to support and make our way through. This wasn't the first time us having to advocate for ourselves or demand that someone take a meeting with us because of how we were being treated or silenced or whatever. But this time, I guess, I don't even know what to say. We went to bed and woke up, and we have inboxes from the White House it was just kind of this overwhelming, amazing feeling that all the things that we had been through, the tears that had been shed, the sister circle moments, sure. the secret life of PhDs and all they had poured into us, right? Like, had been recognized as something more significant than any probably tenured faculty position could really offer. Mm. 
and to be recognized that way <laughs> was just is just I mean it leaves me speechless I guess that's the best way I can describe it I have a mentor um, Dr. Robin Hughes who would say you know <laughs> I want to be in like I have an article in Ebony Magazine or Essence. So she's like, you know, when, when I get an article in the New York Times, right, I'll feel like I've done something because, you know, the academic journals are great, but are we writing in a way that informs a broader community? Is her point, is sure, what she was sure. trying to say. Get to you know, the right. Am I writing something that policymakers and education can read, but then also my mama can read. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. and gonna find interesting, sure. right? We're able to play in different arenas, especially when it comes to being passionate about the access and education of people that look like me, right? It can't sure. just be in the academic journals. We gotta find ways to translate it in different spaces. And so that was probably the biggest translation I could ever imagine um, up until that point. Now I'm kind of like, oh my God, there's so much more work to do. That was one moment in time and I can't end with that, right? I can't set my, the rest of my life based on that one accomplishment. What am I going to do next? Sure, sure. No, that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. So let me ask you, mm -hmm. do you and the ladies, um, do you stay in contact with each other? We do. Um, some of us more than others because some of us had different relationships with one another. So um, Jasmine, Jahari, Nadrea, and I stay um, in pretty close contact. You know, all of us are friends on Facebook, so we see, like, you know, the family, monumental moments. Um, I'm not currently working in academia, so I don't do as much, like, on the conference circle, so I don't get to see and engage with them in that way um, as much. But then... Uh, Nadrea and I, we probably talk at least on the phone, um, you know, three to four times a month. Just how's it going? What's happening? How are the kids? Sure. That kind of thing. Um, and so it it, it varies. Um, whereas I, th I believe it's three of them are still on the IU campus working in different capacities. Um, so I'm quite sure they cross paths way more frequently sure. than I could see any of them. But um, but we're in close proximity, like we know the other ones. Jada is up in Michigan teaching. Uh, Jahari's in Chicago working for the Lynx organization. Um, Jasmine's at Lumina. So we keep pretty close tabs on one another, even though we can't you know, be in the same space as often. No, that's great. Um, uh, just as a, as a final question around the grade eight, have you seen since the work that, that you've done collectively in terms of this, this landmark accomplishment have you seen other efforts or like efforts throughout the country or like recognitions across the country in terms of because I think it's way beyond just the the, the graduating at the same time yes that's definitely an accomplishment but the camaraderie and the cohesiveness that you were able to develop together as women uh, in this this shared experience if you will I think speaks to, to a broader truth yeah. Oftentimes you will hear the narrative that, you know, women can't work together or women can't um, engage. And I, I think that is, not that is not true. You know, to say that we are all the best of friends, no, that's not true either. Or the perception that in order to work together, you have to be. I don't think that is true at all. I think 
there are those, Nadrea and I, for example, started the sister circle. Uh, Jasmine took it over after she, Nadrea and I had moved on. I moved to New York and she led it for a while. And then she, you know, bestowed it on to these um, women that were coming through the program behind her because she sure. was graduating. And so I think part of what the eight of us had was there were core friendships and relationships. Then um, Jada and Jasmine and Tiffany all took statistics class together and they had formed a study circle and they really got through that class and so they had a specific bond and connection that Nadre and I were not a part of. Sure. You know what I mean? But because at one point or another they had some connection to the circle, then it, we became an extension of one another. And so the one thing that I have heard is that it's not necessarily about spending all your time together or all of us running at the same pace. It's about understanding the experience and the context that you're in and how you are able to leverage relationships and opportunities with one another because we understand that we're all striving for the same thing. And as women of color, we're all going to have um, to start a little bit further in the back than most, not because of our abilities or our talents, but how we're all, we are perceived. And so it's our duty in a very, very real way to connect and support each other um, as we are attempting to move forward. And some of that is carpooling, some of that was we're in this class together, girl. <laughs> Can you read my paper? Can I read yours? You know, and then I may not see her after this semester for another two semesters. But knowing that, regardless of whatever, call me or what do you need? And I think that can still happen today. And so that's where I go. Our story beyond just being our image put out there and all of that, the, the story behind the great eight um, is powerful. And I think one that as women, whether you're in the school of education, you're in banking, you're in um, community-based work, or you're a teacher in the school district, anywhere, like having that type of respect and mutual understanding with women um, that look like you is, is really important. Stay tuned for the second part of my conversation with Johanna Rogers, where we'll discuss our current groundbreaking endeavor. Conversations is a production of More About You. Join us next time.